You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. As we step into summer in this post-graduation season, we're stepping into a new book of the Bible to study, and that's 1 Thessalonians. So you can meet us there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. One of our graduates, Dr. Kroos, is going to share this reading with us. And we're going to read the opening verses. Thank you, Ainsley, for reading. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Good morning, White Church. This is one of those mornings when I would love to hear some of the responses from the table question, who inspired your faith? When I was in high school, I had a home economics teacher, Lois Fix, who was a recent college grad from Southwestern State University in Marshall, Minnesota. She really inspired my teenage faith. It was the 70s, and she was part of the Jesus movement. Maybe you've seen the recent movie, The Jesus Revolution. Well, she was one of those Jesus people, and I wanted to be just like her. If you're old enough, you may remember FHA, Future Homemakers of America. Well, Ms. Vicks was also my FHA advisor, and though she couldn't say much about her faith in the classroom, when she and I would travel for FHA, we would have wonderful conversations about faith. I encourage you around your tables today to continue telling stories of people who have inspired your faith. So today we start our summer series on 1 Thessalonians, and as the authors begin this letter, we hear how they were inspired by the Thessalonian church. In the message today, I'll start with an overview of this letter. And then I'm going to focus on three aspects of the Thessalonian church that inspired Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We start with context because the original setting provides meaning and clarity to the message. You remember the old adage, text without context is pretext. So here we go. Let's begin with where Thessalonica was, in fact, is. You'll notice that it was a harbor city situated in the northwest corner of the Aegean Sea. 
but it was also along the Via Ignatia, or the Ignatian Way, which was an important Roman road connecting Asia Minor with the Adriatic Sea. While its location gave the city strategic importance for the Roman Empire, it was also very rich in natural resources. So the city was a hub for travelers, for tourists, as well as business people and government officials. In the Apostle Paul's day, Thessalonica was home to about 200,000 people, mostly Greeks, but also many Romans and a strong Jewish minority. In 2023, Thessaloniki, the city's current name, has approximately 815,000 people, second in population only to Athens. And it continues to be an important industrial and commercial city. It's one of the few cities that has survived from the New Testament era. In fact, there's really quite limited archaeological digging there because the current city has been built over those ruins. In April of next spring, 24 of us from the Y Church here will be traveling, flying into Thessaloniki as we follow in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul on what is referred to as a second missionary journey. Well, in order to get the picture of Paul's purpose for writing 1 Thessalonians, we need to refer back to the book of Acts. In the interest of time, I'm going to summarize Paul's experience in Thessalonica, but I hope that you'll take time either later today, later this week, to read Acts 16 and 17. Yes, two full chapters, but you can do it. It won't take you long as it's full of adventure. So here's the cliff note version. Paul went to Macedonia in response to a vision he had of a Macedonian man begging him to come there and to help them. Macedonia is the region that the city of Thessalonica is in. You can also see the city of Philippi, which was another leading Macedonian city, about 100 miles from Thessalonica. So after spending time in Philippi, establishing a church there, Paul and his companions then left for Thessalonica. Well, things did not go well for Paul in Thessalonica. Even though his commission was to take the gospel to the Gentiles, now remember, Gentiles is a general term referring to anyone who's not Jewish. Even though that was his commission, Paul always started his ministry in each city by going to the local synagogue and dialoguing with the Jews about how Jesus was the promised Messiah. According to Acts 17, 4 and 5, some of the Jews there in Thessalonica were persuaded, as well as a large number of God-fearing Greeks, and it says quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, they formed a mob, and they started a riot in the city. Needless to say, Paul was sent away by the Thessalonian believers for his own protection and safety. Now, how long Paul was in Thessalonica is debated. We know from his letter to the Philippians that he was there long enough to receive two gifts of money from the church in Philippi. 
Also, according to his letters to the Thessalonians, he worked at his tent-making trade to support himself, and he certainly taught the new church a good deal of basic Christian beliefs. Whatever the length of time, some say three weeks, some say three months, it was long enough to leave behind a thriving church. So when Paul left for Athens, Paul told Timothy and Silas, two of his traveling companions, to remain in Thessalonica and help the new church, and then to join him later. It was when Timothy rejoined Paul and Silas at Corinth and gave the report on the new church that together they wrote 1 Thessalonians. That was about 51-52 A.D. So now let's turn to this letter. Again, it's helpful, I think, to have your blue Bibles open to page 956. First Thessalonians begins in typical letter-writing fashion for this time. First, the authors, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Paul appears to be the principal person responsible for its composition, but all three men were founders of the Thessalonian church, and they were together when they wrote this letter. Paul is the Roman name of Saul, and after his conversion on the road to Damascus, he becomes the lead evangelist to the Gentiles and is the author of much of the New Testament. Silas, who we don't hear quite so much about, was a Roman citizen and had been a leader in the Jerusalem church. Paul chose him to be his co-worker during his second missionary journey. First Peter indicates that Silas eventually arrived in Rome, where he became Peter's secretary. Timothy was considered by Paul to be his spiritual son, as well as his fellow worker. Paul sent him on various critical missions to attend the affairs of these young churches, and his name appears as co-author alongside Paul's in the heading of a number of the letters in the New Testament. He eventually assumed the role of pastor in the Ephesian church. So the recipient of this letter is the church of the Thessalonians. The Greek here for church is ecclesia, commonly designating the popular governing assembly of free citizens in a Greek city. But Paul, Silas, and Timothy expand this description by adding to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just another assembly of citizens, but rather they are the people of God under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The salutation then ends with a blessing, grace and peace to you. It was common for Greek and Jewish letters to include the word greetings or greetings and peace, greetings and shalom. But the apostles created a Christianized greeting that echoed the common greeting, but also added this blessing that expressed the essence of the gospel. Grace summarizes the saving work of God through Jesus Christ, and that grace results in peace with God, which was the author's desire for the Christians in Thessalonica. So the body of the letter, as you see it in the Blue Bible, has this heading in chapter 1, Thanksgiving for the Thessalonians' faith. Let's begin reading at verse 2. 
We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where we're going to camp out this morning on verse 3. The rest of chapter 1 hints at the themes in the remainder of the letter, themes that I'm sure we'll cover in more detail throughout this summer. Suffering for faith, joy in spite of suffering, Christ's return, Christian living, and more. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy cite three things in particular that inspired them and moved them to thanksgiving. Again, verse 3 lists them as their work produced by faith, their labor prompted by love, and their endurance inspired by hope. First, their work produced by faith. Culturally, the Greek Thessalonians despised work. They saw it as beneath them. So when Paul and his co-workers acknowledged that these Christ followers now were working because of their faith, it marked a noticeable change in attitude and actions. Do you know that work was created by God as part of his original good plan? Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So work is good. But with the fall of the human race into sin, work became toil carried out by the sweat of man's brow, according to Genesis 3.19. But the consequence of sin, toil, what we call the fall, did not eliminate work as the good that God had planned. In Exodus 29, in commanding us to remember the Sabbath day as part of the Ten Commandments, God explains, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Expanding this word work to include works, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is often quoted to point out that our salvation is a free gift apart from works. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Ah, but then there's verse 10, which was our children's blessing for today. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The object of our faith is God, but the active expression of our faith is work. It has been said we are not saved by faith plus works, but by a faith that works. So often we tend to, I think, compartmentalize our lives. For instance, we have our work life, and we have our faith life, we maybe have our family life, we have our recreational life. But all of life, as Christ followers, is under the lordship 
of Jesus Christ. We cannot compartmentalize, separate, separate work and faith. James, the brother of Jesus, brings this home so well. He writes, what good is it if a person claims to have faith but has no deeds? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. The young Thessalonian church had faith. The assurance that God had acted in Christ to save his people. But they didn't stop with just that belief. They went to work. Secondly, and closely related, Paul and Silas and Timothy are inspired by the Thessalonians' labor prompted by love. Now, the words work and labor are two different words in the Greek. I am definitely not a Greek expert. In all transparency, I only took one semester of Greek in seminary. Greek is a lot like math, in my opinion, and I didn't care for math either. But I did do my homework for today, and from what I found in the commentaries that I referenced, Paul did use these two words, work and labor, rather interchangeably. I find it most helpful to distinguish these two words, these two phrases, by what motivated them. So their work was what they did because of their faith. Their labor was the service that they offered to God and to others as a result of their love. And far from being simply an emotion, here the word love refers to any kind of self-sacrificing labor that the believers engaged in as they served those both inside and outside their community. This labor of love involved a decision and a commitment to the hard work of serving others. The Thessalonians had learned of the love that God had for them in Jesus, and they were determined to extend that love to others. I'm often inspired by the stories that I hear here at the Y Church of individuals laboring in love, whether it's stepping up to make a meal for families or providing childcare, calling someone in need of encouragement, writing a note card, participating in one of our, or on one of our serving teams, um, supporting maybe a ministry in downtown Minneapolis, or for some of you across the globe. This, this body of Christ is consistent in sharing the love of Jesus with others. And that's not always easy or convenient. But I suspect that there is more that we can share. I've often said when it comes to money that we cannot outgive God, but I think that's also true of love. As we share the love of Jesus, rather than becoming depleted, we find that we have more love to give. 
Jesus is not only the model of love, but he is the means of love. He is our source, the source of our love. And we love and serve others because Jesus does that for us. 1 John 4.19, we love because God first loved us. I'm currently reading a wonderful book entitled The Good and Beautiful Community by James Bryan Smith. The goal of the book is to examine the second part of the great commandment, which is loving our neighbor as ourselves. In the introduction, Smith reminds the reader of how easy it is to get caught up in the doing and forget the love. He writes, When we deal with social injustice, acts of mercy, or serving others, there's a tendency to become enamored with the action itself. We can engage in the highest acts of service, but if we do not do it in a spirit of love, it is of no value. The Apostle Paul reminded the early church of the same thing in 1 Corinthians 13. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were inspired by the Thessalonians' work produced by faith, their labor prompted by love, and finally by their endurance, inspired by hope in Jesus. Endurance speaks to their ability to remain steadfast and persevere in the face of suffering or temptation. The young Thessalonian church was the target of extreme opposition and hostility. The riot that drove Paul out of the city was not just a one-time mob scene, but was indicative of the kind of adversity that would plague the early Christians time and time again. Paul was concerned about the stability of the Christian community in Thessalonica. But Timothy's report related a tenacious endurance that was and is indeed admirable. Better still, the source of their endurance was not just some inner resolve or personal strength, but rather it was their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this hope was bound up in their expectation of his coming again, a theme that we will hear more about throughout the letter. This hope was not some vague or passive expectation about a better future, but rather it was the strong foundation that empowered them to bear up under tremendous pressure. There are still today many throughout the world enduring intense persecution because they have put their faith in Jesus Christ. On the connections table this morning, you're welcome to pick up a piece by Voice of the Martyrs. It includes a little bookmark on how to pray for persecuted Christians, and it also provides an opportunity to order a free prayer guide in support of, of those many who today still inspire us by their endurance. Their endurance inspired by the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So by now, some of you have figured out there's a familiar trio being named here. Does this sound familiar? Faith, hope, love, right? This trio of virtues is woven throughout early Christian teaching, and it's shorthand for the essentials of what it is to be a Christ follower. To quote Smith one more time, he says, Hope is the bridge from the future into the present, and the branches of this hope are faith and love. There is so much to dig into in this short letter. What a privilege we have this summer to come together for ongoing inspiration. My prayer for each of us is that we know that our future is bright and unshakable because of Jesus. So let's work because of this faith and labor because of the incredible love that God has for each of us. Now, to get the most from the message on 1 Thessalonians this morning, I do have a homework assignment for you. Once an educator, always an educator, right? So, I want to encourage you to take some time to consider, even write down, your response to a couple questions. If you could be known for three things, what would those be? If you could be known for three things, what would those be? Or similar, as you think about your spiritual legacy, what do you want that to look like? As you think about your spiritual legacy, what do you want that to look like? And for those of you who like to think a little bit more corporately, in addition to personal reflection, as you participate in the mission of the Y Church... Where do you see us working because of our faith or laboring out of love? And maybe think of it in two parts. Where do you see that happening now? Where can you envision that happening in the future? And how might we inspire others with the hope that comes from knowing Jesus Christ? Let's pray. We thank you, O God, for the gift of your word. Lots of details this morning, and yet we trust the work of your spirit to enliven those things in our hearts and minds that you're inviting us to consider more deeply. We do pray, O God, that we would be the body of Christ that works and labors out of faith and love. That each one of us, Lord, could inspire those around us with the hope that comes from knowing you as our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, Check us out online at thewychurch.org.